Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. So excited to be in the studio with you today on your drive to work or wherever you're going. Uh, we have um, Pastor Phil Moran in the studio today. Pastor, how you doing? Doing very well. Great to be here with you. And we are missing um, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Russ, but we do have uh, Pastor Matt Marino in the studio with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited that you're here. Yeah, great to be here. And so what we have been doing is, um, since we're at this new time spot at 8 o'clock in the morning, what we're trying to do is give you, our listeners, an idea of why we call this show The Gospel for Life. It's not a marketing gimmick. Um, we, we chose that title because what we want to convince you, the listener, and convince every Christian is that the gospel is is not just that thing that brings you into the kingdom of God. It is that. It's gloriously that. But it's also um, what keeps you grounded and what answers all of your problems up until the day that Christ returns. Now, th- that even applies to cancer. That applies to everything that you deal with. Not that the, the gospel is some sort of magic pill that heals you, but rather it's the thing that gives you strength to make it all the way home to glory. So First Corinthians is the vehicle in which we're exploring this theme. And what we've been looking at is Paul has been bringing problems that the Corinthian church has had um, to the four, and then he is showing how the gospel is the solution to each one of these problems. So today we are in First um, Corinthians eight. So um, Matt, why don't you kind of give us uh, tell us what's going on here in First Corinthians eight and First Corinthians nine? Right. So if you look at eight and nine, there is a parallel passage in many ways um, in Romans fourteen one all the way through Romans fifteen seven. Same things happening. Um, there are emphases in both that. Um, that are unique. Um, let me give a stumbling, get a stumbling block out of the way first uh, of interpretation. When Paul in chapter eight um, talks about knowledge, knowledge puffing up and all of us possessing knowledge, he's not warring against theological precision or interest level. Uh, that's, that's not what's going on here. He, and he makes that clear as you get down to verse four and beyond the, cause he says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered idols. So the knowledge he's talking about is that knowledge that Christians have um, to do or to not do. In other words, uh, God has commanded something uh, or forbidden something, and uh, I'm going to do that. And so in, in, especially in, in, in Romans 14, you see this as well. You have what we would call stronger brothers and weaker brothers, stronger brothers, those that have freedom and know that you can have this wine or you can have this whatever it is. You can go to the movies, uh, something in the culture today. Um, whereas a weaker Christian would be one whose conscience is just really, really um, bothered by by doing anything that would, uh, and and you know Paul's whole point is not to say that one is morally superior to the other; it's just the opposite. Is to say, uh, to, in a sense, to create a third class in the church that's freer even than the stronger brother, and to say, look, the gospel is actually the end goal here, and both the stronger and the weaker, you need to uh, not put stumbling blocks. 
uh, for each other, and you just need to make this about the gospel. Um, you see that carry all the way over to Paul's own rights in his in his ministry. He could do this, but instead he's going to lay that down for the sake of the gospel. He, he even goes as far to say, when I'm among the Jews, I act like Jews. When I'm among the Gentiles, I act like Gentiles. And what's so fascinating about that is that once you get to the end of chapter 9, he's even willing to say, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa couldn't that miscommunicate the gospel because you're reversing redemptive history or you're saying that these things matter? Um, and, and Paul would be the first person to correct all the you know legalism and things like that, but he's willing even to have—so uh, he had Titus uh, uh, not circumcised over here, he had Timothy circumcised over here, um, the one he specifically did it to start a fight with the Jews to have this Cretan Titus not circumcised over. You yes. know, he brings him into Jerusalem. He just rams him in there, just not circumcised. Timothy, same Jewish group. Don't offend them. What's going on there? Again, the gospel is his north star there. That's commanding all of his actions. Mm, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah, and and he steadfastly refuses in First Corinthians eight. The issue is going to be food offered to idols, which which is not an issue for us today, but. In the ancient world, you're in many of the, the Greco-Roman cities, your local meat market was right outside the pagan temple. And animals that had been offered for sacrifice uh, were then, the meat was then sold uh, to the public. And the question is, can, can Christians eat that meat with a good conscience? And that's what, that's what Paul is dealing with here. And the, and the amazing thing is he steadfastly, he, he calls he calls people to gospel-centered wisdom, and he steadfastly refuses to make a rule. Mm-hmm. He steadfastly refuses to become a legalist mm-hmm. about matters uh, that are peripheral, but he does make it, but he does make it uh, 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 an instance for the gospel to be applied to life, mm-hmm. which is the theme of our show. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you. I'm trying to think of, because as Bible teachers, we understand that these themes that Paul's bringing up, even if there's not a direct one-to-one correlation between between what happened then and what happens now, there's certainly a very direct application. So I guess, I guess one thing that I immediately think of is within um, Christian culture, the, the, oftentimes the question is, is, well, should we use this product because the the companies behind this particular product or this particular, um, you know, um, service are totally liberal, or they're they're antichrist, or they're pro-abortion. Um, so one set of Christians say we we're free to use those things, and another set of Christians say if you use these things, then you're totally compromising. Um, right. Do you guys think there's a correlation there between that and what Paul's saying here? I, I think so. Yeah, I think anything that you it wouldn't take too much imagination to make up a list of. Uh, secondary issues. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you know you're not going to be right or wrong on that. Some people think that things that are secondary are really essential, and vice versa. But point being, there is such a thing as secondary issues. That is issues that don't actually compromise the gospel. Um, if you were to believe that thing, or if you were to do that thing, and I think uh, that's really the takeaway here. Not yeah, like you said, meat sacrifice to idols. Yeah, and it's easy for us to say, you know, as as we as contemporary Christians look at. First Corinthians eight, and it's dealt with in other places in the New Testament. But as we think of, well, it's easy for us to say, why? Why did anybody get, you know, get their underwear in a knot over this, you know? And of course, they should be tolerant about meat sacrificed to idols. Well, that's because you know we get our meat 
at Albertson <laughs> and not at, uh, or if you're a hunter, you go out and, and you, you, you get your own. But, you know, we are such, we are so culturally removed from this that it's easy for us to look back on it and say, why would this even be an issue? Yeah. Uh, whereas there's plenty of issues that we could bring up in the church today and get into a pretty heated argument well, very quickly. I think, I, I, let's name some. I mean, Trump or not Trump. Trump or not Trump, that's one. Yes, exactly. Um, eschatology. Um, so are you a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or are you not a trib at all? And yeah. you're, you're all millennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial? Right, right. Are, what uh, kind of a Baptist are you? Yes, uh, alcohol. Yep. Uh, do do you do you have wine, or do you think that that's completely off limits for mm-hmm. Christians? And, and even the issue of of Calvinism or Arminianism. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've yes. listened to this show for any length of time, you you know that we're committed Calvinists, um, even if we don't use that language regularly. Um, how do we relate with people who disagree with us on these issues? And that's what Paul is getting at, right? Because when as you kind of exposited, knowledge puffs up. Paul is concerned with how we're using doctrines in relationship with one another. He's not saying doctrines are important. Right. He's already argued for seven chapters that doctrines oh. important. Yeah. So how you know I, I sat underneath your teaching for a number of years and you related this, you called this the Romans 14 way. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Well situational wisdom is important here and one of the key phrases he uses here in Romans 14 is stumbling block. And so um, the actual object to look out for is the stumbling block itself. Now, when you use it with different people, it's like, an, it's like when you're doing evangelism. You know, you feel the person out. Where are, they, where are they at? Same thing happening here. You have visitors to your church, and Paul's not saying, don't discuss those issues. Those are controversial. In fact, Paul would even probably address them from the pulpit. And the issue is, do I use the buzz label here? Is it worth it? Sometimes the label is worth it. The person's coming to your church, and they're asking you, hey, do you guys teach the new perspectives here? Well, obviously, he just signaled to me that he knows what it is, so I can use the label. Okay, somebody else comes to me and and says, where do you guys uh, stand on culture? I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about, so I don't necessarily want to use all the big (laughs) words at that point and and shock him with all the things he has to believe. So there's situational wisdom that comes into play here, um, feeling out the audience so much. It's not about do I use the label or not. Um, it's it depends. It depends on your I think audience. I think people hear relativism sometimes. I think the, mm-hmm. the strong conservatives, which I'm I'm a conservative, hear relativism relativism when you say that because it sounds like, well, Matt, come on. <laughs> you're just putting your finger in the wind. Right. And you're just trying to you're trying to make people like you and yeah. so you're just using you're manipulating speech right. for Paul, some other end. Paul goes further. Paul uses a phrase in Romans fourteen where he says, And I decided therefore to, to put never put a stumbling block in the way. Never. What do you mean never? But actually, think about it. Paul's doing that right now. Paul, in a sense, is doing something. He's disagreeing with them. He's saying this is important. He's saying change your mind. So um, you, a- you have to ask yourself, okay, what does he really mean by stumbling block? He can't mean that you never get controversial, that you never use the buzz labels, you never correct people, he- he- or you never make Christianity about all things, because it really is everything you need to think Christianly. But it's timing. It's bringing people along at different levels depending on where they're at and then do you press this issue do they need to know this to be sanctified so just again i think it goes back to situational wisdom not situational ethics situational wisdom and timing with people yeah and then let me add an amen to that you know paul paul counseled timothy this is in uh second timothy two twenty four. he said the lord's servant and he was speaking to leaders like timothy he said the lord's servant must not be contentious uh, another translation of that, the Lord's servant must not strive. 
In, in other words, don't be combative. Don't be argumentative. You don't need to. <clears throat> you don't need to show up to every argument you're invited to. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, we're going to proclaim the truth. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to teach God's word. But um, as Matt has been saying, be be situationally wise, um, and don't don't strive. Be and I think what Paul was talking about there is my my desire. My temptation to strive, my de- temptation to be contentious is basically my desire to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mind arguments so long as I win. Yeah, And that's a temptation to sin. and it, it doesn't glorify Christ. It doesn't lead anybody closer to Christ. Um, you know, be, be situated. Let me, uh, I'll just add my amen again to what Matt just said. Yeah. Be, be situationally wise. And, and the reason for this, I mean, Paul lays it out in the in Romans 14. He grounds it absolutely in the gospel. He says, as for the one who's weak in faith, no matter what the topic is, you consider someone else weak. They disagree with you on something. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then at the end of his argument in, in Romans fifteen seven, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why are we supposed to be situationally, situationally aware? Because when we came to the faith, we didn't have all of our doctrines in order. Yeah. Right. And Christ loved us. And, and do we have every single one of our doctrines in order right now? Well, yeah. We were convinced of the things that we're convinced of, but that doesn't mean we're right on all things. Yeah, and right. he's still putting up with us and loving us and welcoming us. So this this idea of being situationally aware and understanding how doctrine works and using it in relationship with another is rooted in how Christ treats us. Yeah, I, it'd be easy to look at Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 and say, well, the gospel relates to this in this sense. This is how we pragmatically make way for the gospel by doing this and welcoming people. That's true. But actually, it's grounded in the gospel. Um, in Romans 14, you see that this is how the Father welcomed you, or just as Christ welcomed you, therefore your church should be more like the gospel. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. If you've missed any of our past broadcasts, just subscribe to The Gospel for Life. Also, uh, this November, we have some great speakers coming to our Reformation Boise Conference. Cornelis Venema and Mark Jones. If you go to ReformationBoise.com, you can get all the information there. We're super excited about it. So we will see you next time. Bye-bye. 